0: Friends, the, the need and the desire to belong is built into the very fabric of the human condition. The reality is, is that we are all, no matter whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we're all on a pursuit to belong to something. And that passion drives us every day in ways that sometimes we don't even realize. For instance, just think back over your lifetime at moments when you, you faced the, the pain of not belonging. Maybe you can think back of um, a party with some friends that you weren't invited to in junior high. Maybe as an adult, you heard that some friends got together last weekend and you thought, how come? I thought we were closer. Maybe you wanted to be part of an athletic team or you got cut from a choir. Belonging is a big deal. Even the clothing you've chosen this morning, you stood before your wardrobe and whether you realized it or not, you made choices as to what you would put on your body based upon what other people would wear, what it means to belong. In the criminal justice system, if you want to inordinately punish someone, you take them out of general population and you put them in solitary confinement. You you sever their belonging. Social media has only made this belonging reality even more evident. You filter through or flip through the pictures and the statements of people, and you're drawn to what's happening in their world and then drawn to what's happening in yours. There was a study recently done asking teenagers how much money they would, it would require of them to give up their phone for a month. Just think of the last time that you lost your phone you feel not only like you've lost something expensive but you're disconnected the dollar amount for the teenagers was high upwards of five to seven hundred dollars and then consider all of the the groups and the subgroups that are within our culture just a, always fascinating to me the various subcultures for instance this last week i went to the indiana state fair it's a study in subcultures isn't it you got the shorts and cowboy boots culture. Not, not saying anything, I'm just saying you got that culture. You got, you got the biker culture. You got the I wear my golf shirt to the fair culture. You've got the I don't care culture. And you even have, even the whole agricultural culture. Actually, I saw, I saw this, like a seven-year-old girl walking a pig with a little stick. And I thought, there's a subculture right there. I have no idea how she does that. And there she is. What you need to know is that our our society has all kinds of subcultures, and the reality is this belonging piece is a big deal, and here's why. Because belonging is built into the fabric of the created order. You have the Father, Son, and Spirit who live in perfect harmony and belonging. In Genesis chapter 2, when God looks at all that he's created, he says it's not good that man should be alone. In describing the... Beauty of marriage, it's described as a one flesh union. Book of Revelation talks about the fact that there'll be coming a day when God will dwell with his people and they will be with him and he will be their God and he will be their people. In other words, the belonging will be restored. theme is all over the Bible. But there's something wrong with humanity in that our belonging is fundamentally broken. In fact, you could look at the lens of our culture through this idea of the problem of broken belongings. Even this weekend in Charlottesville, Virginia, white supremacy and all of its satanic racism and evil, at the end of the day, is a wicked belonging. You you ought to see the, the, the reality of culture through this lens and then begin to ask yourself, How important is this word, and why does this matter? We're we're, we're born with appetites for belonging. The problem is is that we express that belonging in broken ways. During the month of August, we're talking about a disciple-making culture. How do we help one another to grow in Christlikeness? And you need to know that this, this focus isn't new, but its application is unique right now. This church has always been committed to disciple-making, but we expressed that disciple-making different over the years. For example, 15 years ago, when there's a lot of uncertainty as to where this church was going to end up, and disciple-making essentially looked like, let's go to Sunday and, and preach the gospel and gather in community, and then we'll just do that and do that and do that. And just surviving was, frankly, a bit of a disciple-making culture. When we had very little space here, and we had things like, those of you who were here back in 2009 and 10, gravel is godly and the stairway of doom, this place to take your children, which was scary and tight. We were trying to make disciples in that culture. And and, and now what we're trying to figure out as a staff is what do we do with the changing dynamics within our city, our desire to try and reach the 60% of people in our A metro area who are on church? What do we do with people coming from different walks of life than necessarily where our people have come from over the years? And then how do you engage in this mission of disciple making? In other words, if you run into someone, and I hope that you do, who's new at the church, you introduce yourself, and they were to ask you, so how does one grow spiritually here? I hope that because of this series, you'll know. You'll know the steps and where to point them. And additionally, that even in your own walk with Christ, that you'd be able to take some inventory and ask yourself, so where is my walk with Christ at? So the purpose of this conversation is to help us think through how do we really make disciples? And what does it mean to create an environment, as we saw last week, where people connect with people to help them become like Jesus? That's essentially what it means to make disciples. This morning, what I want to dial into from Ephesians 2 is this. What do we need to remember about our belonging in the gospel? If by belonging we mean that we we're never meant to grow alone, and that likeness is not just an individual issue, but it's a community project, then how do we do life together? How, how do we engage in something that's, that's bigger than ourselves? What does it mean to belong to a people? How does the Bible take the word belong and sanctify it? So in Ephesians 2, Paul is making the case for the beauty of the church, and he's trying to help them understand that there's a unity that could be brought to bear despite the things that would cause them to be divided. So I want to walk you through this, help you understand what this text tells us about ourselves, what this passage tells us about our union with Christ, and then what this text tells us about what the church is supposed to look like. So first, in Ephesians chapter 2, what happens is that Paul identifies that we share in a broken belonging, that we have a shared brokenness collectively as a people. He starts with an identity that is outside of the gospel. Look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision so he he first speaks to them and reminds them that they once were considered outsiders in fact there was even a a name for these outsiders a term of derision called the uncircumcision or the uncircumcised they were outsiders looking in they were not part of the community maybe maybe you know exactly what that feels like you were a person who was outside of a particular group of people. Or maybe you even feel that way yet today. Maybe you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're trying to figure out, so what does it mean to be a Christian? And I'm glad that you're here and I hope that you figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I want you to know that every single one of us started as outsiders. In fact, we all, we all began that way. The text goes on not only were they outsiders but they were spiritually lost and verse 12 makes five stunning statements about their lost condition remember that you were at that time here's five statements separated from christ alienated from the commonwealth of israel strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without god in the world the point i think is obvious the picture should be pretty clear when you read that text from a spiritual standpoint. These people, we were bankrupt. And this bankruptcy extended not only to their actions, but also to their souls and even to their minds. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul echoes this brokenness with these words. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So listen to me, if you're here today and you feel incredibly guilty for the things that you've done in the past and you're looking at your life and you're like, how in the world Do I stop doing these things? The Bible answers that not by simply modifying your behavior but actually getting to something so foundational in your life, it actually, the Bible actually can change through relationship with Jesus to whom you belong. The condition though that we all start with is that we are apart from Christ. It's the story of every human being. The Bible says that we have all sinned. There's no one who's righteous no one who's been perfect, that we're all under the sentence and the judgment of death, that every human being in the world belongs to this group. We all share in the brokenness that is in the world. Every one of us has to deal with the reality of this broken belonging, and this is where the gospel intervenes, that in effect, the good news of the new belonging in Jesus is that God has rescued us from our broken belongings. God has rescued us from all of the things where we used to find our identity. Every single one of us, if I was to hand you a microphone, you could tell me the story of your broken belonging. The question is not whether or not you belonged somewhere, the question is what was the place that you belonged? You could think back of your story and maybe some of you know that Some of the real monumental and painful moments happened because belonging was the problem. You gave away your virginity because you were afraid you wouldn't belong to him or her anymore. You woke up trashed the next morning, and the reality is you got involved with the group and you just belonged and went with them You followed the corporate culture, and everybody else was doing things a particular way. You just kind of went along with the stream. Everybody else was doing this particular behavior. Everybody else had these particular values. And before you knew it, you got sold the bill of goods because you jumped into the stream of broken belongingness. Friends, every single one of us has some element of that story. It may not be dramatic. It may not be um, something that's super scandalous. But at the end of the day, all of us have a story of broken belonging. And so the beauty of what happens in Christ and what comes next in Ephesians 2 is that Jesus liberates us, not just from our sin and not just from bad behavior. Jesus liberates us from belonging to the wrong group. He, he, he liberates us by redeeming the beauty of what it means to belong to him. Therefore, you know what a healthy disciple-making culture is like? A healthy disciple-making culture is a place where people understand the fundamental reality of this idea of belonging. And they can see the beauty, they can see the beauty of what it means to belong to a new community. That means that no matter what your story is, no matter what that pathway was, no matter how much regret you have for your previous bad belongings, I've got good news for you. There's freedom and fullness in Christ, and you can have a new relationship with people, a new relationship with men, a new relationship with women, a new relationship with people who could love you for who you are, and the foundation of that is the renewal of belonging and that comes to the finished work of Jesus. No guilt, no shame, Just a past eclipsed by a new belonging. That's the gospel. This belonging also then extends to a singular concept called the union with Christ. In verse 13, we see a stunning turn of words after this Listing of things that characterized our previous broken belonging. Verse 3 says this, but now in Christ Jesus. Oh, what great words but now are. If you want to do a great study sometime, just just search for all of the ways in which but now has been used in the Old Testament and the New, or the term but God. The idea is we were here, but God. In fact, Paul says as much in Ephesians chapter 5. He says this, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the lord and parents who are praying for wayward children you need to pray this you got to pray something like god i know my son or daughter is walking a wayward path but i know that you can reach them would you do so see but god the shift in identity and belonging is captured then in what comes next when it says in Christ, but now in Christ. This is Paul's, this is one of his favorite ways of summarizing, frankly, the sum total of the gospel. That to be in Christ means that you have a new identity. To be united with Christ essentially means that that God treats you as he would treat Jesus. Jesus. It means that all of the spiritual victory, all of the grace, all of the honor, all of the blessing come to you because of your relationship with Jesus. It means that his death is your death, his life is your life, his blessing is your blessing. Which you saw this in the baptism, you heard the stories, and you saw it visualized. When he died, we died. When he rose, we rose. To be saved is to be in Christ. To be united with Christ means that we're justified in him, we're glorified in him, we're sanctified in him, we're called in him, we're alive in him, we're created anew in him, we're adopted in him, we're elected in him. That at the end of the day, the sum total of all of salvation and all of eternity is this. It is of him and through him and to him be all things because we have nothing without him. That's the point. And this way you can think of union with Christ as the sum total of your salvation. When you come to faith in Christ, it means that now there's a new identity that you've been given. Or as the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter two, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's a a union concept. And then he goes on to say, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So to be in Christ means that I now have a, a new reality, a new identity. In Ephesians 2, we see this union then resulting in particular things. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ you, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we're no longer estranged from God. We've been reconciled to our holy creator. It says that, verse 14, For he himself is our peace. Not just the concept of salvation, but actually the the person of Jesus is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Meaning that underneath all of the strident categories of culture, all the things that serve to divide humanity up, whatever they are, ethnicity, whether they are um, political philosophies, whether they're socioeconomic status, whether it's particular um, ideas about Um, what should happen in the context of um, life and how you live and different opinions about various things that are preferences in the midst of all those things that serve to divide us. Paul says, underneath them is a greater reality of belonging, which is why he says he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, creating unity with people who culturally And humanly, you wouldn't be unified with. Verse 15, fulfilling all the demands of the law, he abolishes the laws of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. So when you put this together, what you you find is the simple truth that the gospel creates a new belonging for every believer. And this new belonging gets underneath all other categories. It gets underneath your marriage. It gets underneath your ethnicity. It gets underneath your work. It gets underneath your sexuality. It gets underneath everything. That there is this this union with Christ that becomes the most foundational thing in the world and in your life. And this change of dominion and status is not only the essence of salvation, but it's also the foundation of our hope. Meaning this, that if I'm in Christ and if God has placed me in Christ, then nothing can change that reality no matter what happens to me, no matter what illness comes, no matter what the devil throws at me, no matter what takes place in my life, that I am safe and secure because I am in Christ. So this union was not only meant to cover our sins, but also to give us an unbelievable level of confidence, which is why the Apostle Paul says this, I am sure. That neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I don't know what it is that you face today, what challenges going on in your world or what burden that you're carrying. You may have had awful news that came across your path this last week or challenges that are right in front of you or Feeling as though the sentence of death has been placed upon you. Here's my hope to you. Listen, nothing, not even the devil himself, can separate you from the love of Christ, which is found in him. (laughs) Nothing. So when we sing, the resurrected Christ is resurrecting me, what do we mean? We mean that, yeah, my job's uncertain, but I'm in Christ. Yeah, I don't know where my kids are today and I wish they would follow him, but I'm in Christ. I can trust him. Yeah, the cancer diagnosis doesn't look good, but I can trust in Christ. Yeah, I got this unreconciled relationship and it's hard to be godly, but I can, I can be in Christ. Or when the world says, how in the world do we fix the divisions and the problems and the brokenness within the culture, we raise our hand and say, we know how the answer is in Christ. Because union with Christ redefines what it means to belong. third, This text not only talks about union with Christ, but also the beauty of a new community called the church. What I'm driving at is this, that to belong, here's the sum total of what I'm trying to say, to belong is the essence and the expression of the gospel. It's to belong is what the gospel means and to belong is what the gospel does. The reality that we need to see here is that Belonging becomes very practical when we gather together as God's people. Belonging becomes very practical as we gather in order for the purpose of making disciples. Verse 15 By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, here it comes. One new man in the place of two, so making peace. Don't miss this. There's an ethnicity piece that's right in the middle of this text. you got Jews and Gentiles who never got along, completely separated. One thought they were superior than the other, and now the wall has come down. There's equality. There's the ability for both to be able to see God. The, the, the wonderful openness now that comes through the gospel is theirs, and Paul identifies that there now is an identity underneath all other identities, namely, he creates this one new man. What's more, they are one body, not just one man, but one body, and might reconcile us to both, us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The hostility is the broken belonging. I belong to my group, you belong to yours, we hate each other, and what happens is The cross comes and it kills that hostility by creating one new man. And so while they both belong to the different groups, doesn't change their ethnicities, doesn't change the person's socioeconomic status, doesn't change their background or their story. Instead, now there's another belonging underneath that that becomes more foundational and that then serves to unite them. Friends, that's the church. That's what we celebrate when we come together. Such is a collection of individuals. It's a collection of individuals who believe the same foundational reality. We've all come out of our broken belongings and said, I belong to this. I belong to Christ. Verse 18, both groups have access by the Spirit to one, by one Spirit to the Father. For through him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Verse 19, So then you are, notice this, no longer strangers and aliens, you're no longer on the outside, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So you're, you're part of something beyond yourselves, even something historic in verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus, in Christ, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. And then verse 21, in whom, notice this, it's, it's something that's alive, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows. And what's it growing into? It's growing into a holy temple in the Lord. So Paul is pulling both both national sort of identity metaphors, you're a citizen, and family metaphors into a household. He's using worship metaphors of a holy temple. He's pulling all of this together, and he says, do you think all of these things are identity markers? He's identifying that now the church, the people of God, become the ultimate identity marker as they confess their allegiance to one another. Verse 22, in him... You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what he's saying is is that to be united to Christ is then to be united to this beautiful thing called the church. Marcus Johnson, a professor at Moody Bible Institute, says this, to be united to Christ is what it means to be the church. The church, after all, is the body and bride of Christ, A distinction, therefore, between a doctrine of salvation and a doctrine of the church can only be but artificial. There is no salvation outside the church. Historic evangelicals have always asserted just exactly because there is no salvation outside of Christ. We are saved in Christ, and we are the church in Christ. It is the same wonderful gospel. What does that mean? It means that everyone who is in Christ is then in the body of christ they are in the church in other words there are all kinds of gospel preaching churches in our city today we're not the only church that preaches the gospel i trust you know that there are all sorts of other believers who are expressing their gospel centeredness in different and unique ways and they're part of what would be called the universal church we are part of the body of christ together with those believers as true as that is the Bible also says they're not only part of this body of Christ, but in the New Testament, the expression of that body consistently works out with a specific and localized and consistent group of people. The normative pattern is for a group of people who regularly gather together for worship, those people who submit to their spiritual leaders, who receive the teaching of the Word, who observe the Lord's Supper together, and they practice church discipline, deciding who is inside of the church because of their godliness, and then who, because of their actions, should not wear the Jesus' name tag representing their church in the community. All, and all of this is done together. The reason I share that is every once in a while I run into someone who says, Hey, I don't need the local church. I, I kind of go from church to church, whatever sermon series is being, you know, preached, or whatever musical set that I like. Or I just, we like to kind of move around. We're kind of like church shoppers. And while that may fit a consumer mindset, that is not the vision of what it means to grow in Christ likeness. You ought to be committed to a body of people. A body of people who love you a body of people who you love a body of people who aren't perfect so there ought to be sermons that you don't like in the same way that there's meals that your mother made when you were growing up that you didn't like just don't tell her nor me please just kidding when you gather together there ought to be songs that you sing together ones that resonate within your heart and other ones that yeah not so much but it blesses my brother and i'm glad that he's encouraged by that song There ought to be people in the church who you connect with and others who kind of grind you the wrong way. It's part of what it means to be the body of Christ and you get to work that out in the context of what it means to be the church. For that matter, we're called to live out the one another commands, to love one another, care for one another, comfort one another, to exhort one another and in order for those things to take place, there have to be others for you to be able to do so. So the the Bible, particularly the New Testament, consistently envisions living out this belonging to one another in the context of a local assembly of believers who are responsible for one another's souls. The church is a place that you belong, not just some place that you attend. See, the vision for spiritual growth is not just about your individual growth. Certainly individual growth is a part of the dynamic, but part of the reason that the church is to belong to one another and to live out that belonging is not only to help that body grow, but also because of what that says to the world. For the world to look at the church and say, wait a minute, you got people from all ethnicities who are singing together loving each other? people from all different strata of socioeconomic status people from different backgrounds and they are together and they are loving one another how is that possible and the answer is it's because we're in Christ This compelling community is more than just a person's individual maturity, but it is the way in which we platform the gospel to the world and show them the marvelous reality of what it means for Jesus to be king and for in Christ to be the thing that unites us together. So you see how important this word belong is? It matters individually, it matters corporately, it matters culturally. So let me give you some examples of how we express this belonging together. What are are some of the ways in which belonging gets front and center in our church and in your lives? Well first, you saw it already this morning, baptism. Baptism is the physical expression of this spiritual reality of what it means to be united in Christ. As wet and as under the water as they were is as in Christ as they are and as raised up is as much as what Paul says they have been in newness of life. We are united with Christ, and baptism is going public with that union. It's where you give public evidence and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Watch this. This is what happened to me. Secondly, we have Lord's Table, Lord's Supper. Next week, we'll celebrate communion, and we'll be reminded as we celebrate the Lord's Table together, What is the significance of the gospel? We'll we'll rehearse the gospel to ourselves. We'll reconsider the cross. We'll renew our affections for that gospel. And we'll use the elements of bread and juice to preach the gospel to ourselves and to remind all of us what we believe and why it's important. So we have baptism, we have Lord's Supper. Here's the third thing we have covenant membership. So as elders, we believe that it's important for God's people to officially and solemnly covenant themselves to one another. In essence, what makes a church a church is the fact that those people have covenanted together. It's they've said, this is the body that I'm a a part of. So a church is a church then versus just some gathering of Christians because they agree to express their union of Christ, their union with Christ rather, together together. You might wonder, well, why is, why is membership important? That's a great question. And let me suggest, I think that covenant membership answers three critical questions that every follower of Jesus needs to be able to answer. Question number one, has the church affirmed your understanding of the gospel? Has the church affirmed your understanding of the gospel? Meaning, in an overly individualistic culture like we have in the West, and particularly in the United States, the idea that I received Jesus as my personal Savior and Lord, the Bible indicates that it's important to have other people, have the church, people in spiritual authority, hear your understanding of the gospel and to be able to affirm that yes, you believe the gospel. Friends, this is somewhat countercultural. Because we live in a culture that people would say, how dare you question what I believe? And yet the reality is, your belief, my belief, is not the center of truth. The scriptures are. And therefore, we need to be sure that we really understand the gospel. And so, one of the reasons for covenant membership is to have someone affirm your understanding of the gospel. To hear you talk about what happened to you and say, yes, that's what the Bible says. That's indeed true. Second question is this, not only has the church affirmed your understanding of the gospel, but secondly, which church is gonna care for your soul and will be accountable before God to help you grow in grace? The, The tone of the New Testament is very clear that there are elders who are responsible for the care and spiritual nurturing of a people. And so the question is, who are those people and who are your elders? It seems as though the Bible would indicate that that's really important for the care of your soul. And frankly, if you don't have a people and you don't have spiritual leaders in your life, you're going to try and navigate some pretty choppy waters and try and do that on your own and that it's not the way God intended for it to happen. And then finally, Matthew 18 tells us there's another question that we ought to ask, which is this, so which body of people, which church is holding you accountable for your walk with Christ? In other words, to say, look, I want to be in a body of people so that if the hardness of my heart ever set in and I began to get off track, I'd have people who would know me and love me enough who could come alongside me and say, hey, brother, man, you're, you're like, like, I'm not sure what's going on here, but you're heading down a wrong path. And listen to me, if you think I can do that on my own, you don't understand you. If you think, I I got a pretty good read on my own life, like I I don't need somebody speaking into my stuff. I got my stuff, and I don't need, then either you haven't lived long enough or you just don't understand human beings, because the Bible tells us very clearly, and evidence would show in terms of just practical experience with us, that there are so many situations as you look back on the history of your life, are there not moments when you look at what you were thinking and doing, and you think, what in the world was I thinking, and what in the world was I doing? But in the moment, You are absolutely convinced you are right. So the Bible says the remedy for that is to have a body of people who know you and love you. So covenant membership is the way that we answer these three questions. It's an official step where you say, I identify with these people. I want them to affirm my walk with Christ. I want to have them be the ones that care for my soul. And if I stray, I want them to be the ones who come after me. Membership is an official way where you say, these are the people that I want that to happen with. It means that if you're at a workplace and you've got a fellow follower of Jesus and you see something going on in his or her life, you have a responsibility to speak into that. But if that person is a covenant member in your church, you have an additional level of responsibility. Baptism, Lord, supper, covenant membership, finally, community. Beyond a part being a part of a larger assembly of the weekly gathering of God's people on the Lord's Day, which is a very important and vibrant part of your spiritual growth, it's important for you to have a place of community, a place where you express your belonging beyond your large gathering and beyond your individual time with the Lord. In our church, we do that through small groups, we do that through large groups, And the point of those is this. There's something very helpful and, I think, edifying about a regular rhythm of meeting with the same people to talk about the Word in season and out of season, to speak into one another's lives, and to pray for one another, even in the midst of all of the messiness. I mean, let's be honest. You come here, and people ask you today, "How are you doing?" Most of us are going to say, "Hey, I'm doing good," or you know, "Not so, not so good." Or but it'll be a, a, a thin and probably appropriately not necessarily deep conversation. The goal, though, in the context of a group, is to be able to say, "Let me tell you what's really going on," and "Let me tell you how things are really happening," and "Let me help you understand what my real struggles are." And the deeper you go, and the further you penetrate into the depths of the real struggle, the greater the possibility you have of not just belonging to Christ, but belonging to people such that you fulfill the biblical vision of what it means to follow Jesus. Here's the thing. Some of you have no idea what it's like to be in that kind of relationship in a group, and my guess there's something within your heart that says, I wish that I had that. Or some of you are in groups, that that's just not the case. It's just, it doesn't get below. You need to know that your goal is not just to meet and your goal isn't to talk, your goal is to belong. That's the point. This life in group connects us with what you might consider to be sort of the base camp for belonging. You came on Sunday. My guess, you understood the word belong at one level. My hope is you understand it at a whole different level now. That you realize the the, the brokenness of the belonging in the world and look for it this week. Watch for it on the news. You're going to see it all over the place of people who have a broken belonging. We have this union with Christ that's designed to solve that problem. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, i got news for you. Today, you could receive Christ, and in Christ can be placed over your soul, and you can start anew. I don't care what you've done or what's happened in your past or how awful the story is or how long you've faked it. The fact of the matter is God knows your story, and we all have a mess of our lives. And today, I want to invite you to come and embrace what it means to be in Christ. And finally, the call is just for us to be the church, to live out our belonging, to live out our being united to the Son as He unites us to a people. This is what John Stott says about the church. Jesus has succeeded in creating a new community. In fact, A new humanity in which alienation has given way to reconciliation, hostility to peace. And this new human unity in Christ is the pledge and foretaste of that final unity under Christ's headship. What he's saying is this. That there is coming a day when people from every tribe, nation, and tongue will gather in heaven, all because they've known the name of Jesus. And on that day, we'll all gather and we'll sing in the same voice, in the same language. We'll all sing on tune. It's going to be awesome. So there's hope for some of you. And you're standing there focused on Jesus, and you'll say things. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and wisdom and honor and glory you'd be able to say, great are you, Lord, because at the end of the day, everything came from him, and everything is for him, and therefore everything goes to him, because Jesus fundamentally changed what it means to belong. And that change changes what it means to be the church. Our belonging now pictures a beautiful belonging in the future. Oh Lord, would you help us to live this out even now? Make us a people who understand these spiritual realities and then live them out in the relationships that we have around us Would you help us as elders and pastors to know how to encourage more and more people to belong to you and to express that belonging in ways that will last. So Lord, now give us grace as we go back out into the world. Help us to live, for those who are followers of you, in the full union of this oneness that we have in Christ. Forgive us for our sins, the ways that we have disdained our union with you this last week. Thank you that there's cleansing and mercy even today for us to start anew. Oh Lord, give us grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.